This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Very best bits of today's show. It is a Thursday, 9th of November, live from Dubai Commerce City. Going to start with economics. As we were on air, we had some breaking economic news, PMI data for Dubai. Brandy took a deep dive into the numbers. She's got the details. Also going to get the thoughts of Dan Richards. All well and good having all this economic growth. It's great, but it does put pressure on infrastructure particularly the roads. Staying with the Dubai is booming story, Tim Khan from CBRE joined us live. New research from them suggests that, yeah, another record milestone for Dubai's ever-increasing real estate market. Going to get the thoughts of Tamer. And then, this is an interesting one, a new newspaper in Dubai, a new Sunday newspaper launched by the publishing company ITP. It's a bold move launching a newspaper. Gulf News and College Times have just shut down their weekend newspapers. Matthew Amlo of ITP was with us to give us the details. Finally, Dubai booming story 3.0. Dubai ranked number one city in the world that people want to move to. Mo Mansour of Remitly going to get his thoughts. He's been in conversation with Tom Urquhart. All that to come. First up, though, those economic numbers. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Those 10 economic principles that Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid laid out yesterday on a federal level for the UAE. Dan Richards, Senior Economist, Emirates MBD, with us in the garden. Morning, Dan. Hi, good morning. Bigger picture, what did you make of this? Yeah, so in many respects, there wasn't anything too surprising in those two, 10 principles. It was kind of laying out what has already done well for Dubai, the wider UAE, over the last decade already. So things like being an open economy, that is clearly one of the clear uh, benefits we've had in the rapid bounce back from the uh, COVID pandemic was the fact that Dubai UAE was open for business. And then also things like having world-class infrastructure, what has been driving growth or transport and logistics infrastructure, what has been driving growth in Dubai over recent quarters, that has been the transport and logistics sector. So it's really doubling down and making sure they continue to do well in things they've already been performing well in. Yeah, I mean, this is just one example, Dubai Commerce City, relatively new economic zone here in the UAE. We're in this swanky offices in the nice garden they've got 105 warehouses around the corner they're all full well who yeah. knew and that, <laughs> that speaks to what's happening but you mentioned infrastructure there and it's one of the the 10 principles it was also a big feature in the the uae budget which came out a couple of days ago and sheikh mohammed talks about what was one of his things the uae's attractiveness to top talent is growing well it is and he wants the uae to become at the forefront of global economies and, and you, we're succeeding in that. He's succeeding in that. Dubai in particular, the UAE in general. And yet that brings its challenges. And infrastructure is one of them. The roads of the UAE. We could even stretch this out to Riyadh. Tom was in Riyadh yesterday. And, you know, he says the, but within the first 30 seconds, the conversation turns to the traffic. That's infrastructure. What can be done? Yeah, so both those cities have obviously experienced very strong population growth over the past several years. And maybe the investment in the roads hasn't quite managed to keep pace with that very surprising rapid pace of growth and anyone that's driven north on Sheikhzayed roads on a rush hour in like recent months will experience that but I think as you say with that um, budget um, earmarked for infrastructure investment and then this reaffirmation in the 10 principles yesterday it is clearly something that is being addressed and when we have new announcements such as the new line the new metro line being developed and there are constantly new roads um, being put in place new slip roads put in place to try and ease those pressures it is something I think the authorities are cognizant of but this will take time to remedy 
Uh, finally, looking at some of the other principles, I want to dig into one of them, which is number five, the UAE manages a sustainable and balanced economy. COP28 just around the corner. And yet the reality is we're one of the world's biggest oil and gas producers. And ADNOC is, depending on the year, 25-30% of GDP. Yes, I think that will always be the case and that will be the case for some decades to come. I would expect it is an oil economy but within that you can do whatever, you can work your best as possible to minimise the effect of that so produce oil in a cleaner manner and then domestically you can work on reducing those emissions and you know, that investment in public transport will potentially feed into that as well. Dan, let's look at one of the big international economic stories and a bit of a spat within the Bank of England. This is interest rates. And we know most of the world's central banks have now paused on interest rate hikes. The Fed, the ECB, certainly what we might call the Western central banks and the the Bank of England have done. Australia raised this week, but those Northern Hemisphere Western central banks seem to have paused. Now, chief economist of the Bank of England came out a couple of days ago and said uh, that it does not seem unreasonable to me that we might cut rates in the middle of next year. He says the danger, if we don't, is that we will trigger a recession. However, his boss, the governor of the Bank of England, has a different view. He says absolutely not cutting interest rates. Let's have a listen to this. He's Andrew Bailey, governor of the Bank of England. This was him talking less than a week ago when the Bank of England kept interest rates on hold. And he was asked about the prospect of maybe even a rate cut. There is absolutely no room for complacency. Inflation is still too high. We will keep interest rates high enough for long enough to make sure we get inflation all the way back to the 2% target. We will be watching closely to see if further increases in interest rates are needed. But even if they are not needed, it is much too early to be thinking about rate cuts. But his chief economist is thinking about rate cuts and talking about rate cuts. Is this healthy? Well, I think there was an element after Hugh Pill, the chief economist's uh, comments the other day, and that was reflected very quickly in the gilt markets, that people, uh, investors, traders, are looking for any indication that maybe these tighter rates are over. But everything else that's come out of, of the Bank of England and in terms of the data from the UK, that inflation data has still pointed towards rates being higher for longer. I think uh, Governor Bailey was really wanting to push back on any... Uh, uh, any uh, guesses about it's over sooner than it might be expected because frankly I think they're not in a position to cut rates just yet. In terms of the United States, Jay Powell gave a speech last night and I was very excited and I said to you yesterday come in because we've got a Jay Powell speech mm-hmm. and it was like a three-minute speech at, at a basically a hundredth birthday party for the research and statistics division of the Federal Reserve and he said research statistics research and statistics are very important thank you very much good night <laughs> so no news out of Jay Powell on monetary policy can we have a quick word on oil down four percent on Tuesday in international markets down another two percent yesterday Brent crude this morning below 80 bucks a barrel. Should we be worried? I think what's happening is that the, everyone's looking at the somewhat weak pictures that are coming out, the weak data that's coming out, out of China in particular. We had deflation, back in deflation this morning, and also from Eurozone, in particular Germany, we've had a series of weak data points. But I think when you balance that against the determination or the reaffirmation that OPEC Plus members, uh, Saudi Arabia and, and uh, Russia in particular, will be extending those voluntary production cuts, we still see Uh, market tightness in this quarter so that should put a floor under prices but certainly the pressure at the minute is downwards. So if we circle back to one of our earlier points which was yes Riyadh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi are booming but that puts big pressure on infrastructure. Is there enough money in the pot 
at $80 a barrel for Brent to pay for the roads and the metros and, and the other infrastructure projects that we need or want to put in place? Well, for Saudi Arabia, certainly this year, we do forecast that there will be a budget deficit this year after that surplus last year. But uh, you know, after that massive windfall they had last year, I don't think there's any position or any need to worry just yet. $80 a barrel is still pretty comfortable levels for regional economies, I'd say. Finally, quick word on China. We've got a big meeting happening this weekend in San Francisco. It's APEC, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Body. And we think the big guns are going. Joe Biden's hosting it, so he's going to be there from the United States on the Pacific coast. The, the, the hot money is on Xi Jinping from China being there as well. How's that going to play out? Well, any uh, discussion between the two largest economies in the world, any improvement in relations, I think, can only be positive for the global economic outlook and to take away one area of potential risk, especially when we've had these flare-ups in Europe and now in the Middle East as well, I think can only be beneficial to global growth. Dan, good talk to you. Appreciate you coming down here to Commerce City today. The thoughts of Dan Richards. He's a senior economist at Emirates MBD. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. All right, another day, another property record. Uh, according to the guys at CBRE, we have now passed the number of transactions that were done in all of 2022, and we are only at the beginning of November. Not only that, but it's an all-time record for annual transactions, and we're not annual. Tamar Khan is the man who does the research for CBRE in this region. Tamar, it's lovely to speak to you. Good morning. Good morning, Brandy. Put this in context for us, because 2022 has not been a slow year. Correct. So in 2022, we had around uh, 92,000, roughly 200 transactions for the full year. Um, so as you said, that was a very, very strong year uh, for Dubai's market. And uh, once again, just to put it into context, in 2019, we were, you know, uh, somewhere around 32, 33,000 transactions. So yeah, huge growth there. But actually, 2023 has been even stronger. Um, as you said, in just in the first 10 months of this year, we're about 93,600 transactions with two months still to go. And this is not just beating last year's records, but it's beating pretty much all of them, isn't it? This is the highest ever, correct, yes. What do you expect to see in the next two months? Can this trundle on? I think we will continue to see sort of the record being extended. But one of the things is quite clear is if you look at the monthly figures, uh, we've seen October drop uh, compared uh, to September by around 23.6%. Uh, and that's largely because off-plan sales are falling pretty significantly, or about 57.2% down. The secondary market, on the other hand, is actually performing reasonably well. We're, we're sort of 30% up year-on-year. Uh, year. Um, sorry, that 57, 57% down is uh, is year-on-year, year. so October this year compared to October last year. Um, this isn't surprising, given that the, the absorption has been incredibly strong. Um, we, we try to sort of look at the data to see uh, what's happening. Was it that actually demand was weakening in the last couple of months, which is the reason that we're seeing off-plan sales actually fall? And it's, it's not what we found, really. Uh, in fact, slightly slightly the opposite. We looked at uh, all the, uh, the new launches from 2022 onwards, uh, and w- within that, we, we, we found that around 68% of those launches uh, have been have been sold uh, in terms of that's what the take-up is. 
that's across the market. And if you look at sort of the core and prime markets, that number is around 94%. So it's much more that demand has been very strong and we have very little supply left within the market. Ballpark figure, how big could this year actually get, Tamer? What's your gut sense? I think uh, we could get fairly uh, between 105 to 110,000 transactions for the year. Okay, and this isn't the only records that we're setting at the moment. About a week or so ago, the guys from Property Monitor, Jean Jahinki, was telling us that we had passed 2014 peaks for residential prices. Um, but looking at your numbers here, you say villas have continued to run past that. Give me the figures. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, the, the villa market is actually still uh, fairly strong, and we're actually seeing price growth uh, get, getting uh, stronger. Uh, it's a market which is really lacking uh, within supply and demand is uh, pretty significant now. We're about 14.1% higher than where we were on average in 2014. Um, and we, we think this number is likely to actually sort of continue to increase. What is going to be the deciding factors for the rest of this year and going into to next year? What could either push it higher still or slow everything down? Um, I think what what we will see is um, off-plan sales slow fairly uh, fairly significantly, uh, just as you know the focus is on actually starts becoming on delivering stock uh, and to actually you know utilize the construction capability to be able to do that. Um, I think that that'll be sort of quite key. Um, <clears throat> I think the secondary market, given how um, you know. Uh, strong that's been as well and the price growth that we've seen in there it'll be interesting to see how uh the 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 interest rate environment how that impacts that market if if uh you know individuals who have been on fixed rates uh go on to floating rates uh at least for a short period of time if that impacts you know uh that that particular segment of the market that brings additional stock onto the market uh will, will be something that we'll be keeping an eye out on Okay, and slightly less headline worthy, but certainly something um, that is going to be welcomed by those who are renting. You've got the magic word in here for the rental market, and that is moderation. Indeed. So for 10 months now, uh, you know, uh, compared to last year, rent is still up, but we are starting to see them beginning to level out. So very positive news for, you know, a very significant proportion of Dubai's markets who do rent. And I think this this is likely to continue i think we uh, in certain uh, markets which uh, we have seen this trend be the case that rents have been relatively level for the last sort of four to six months and Tamer khan speaking to us there he is the head of research for this region um, and a partner at cbre they got in touch yesterday to say that they uh, that we rather the dubai property market has passed in terms of volumes of sales not just uh, the whole of 2022 but the whole of any year like ever and we've still got two months to go just the highlights this is the bite-sized business breakfast right there newspapers are dead long live newspapers brandy scott's got the details yeah indeed if you were out and about in town this weekend you may have noticed this which is a new Sunday paper in the coffee shops and the hotel lobbies of Dubai. ITP and Arabian Business have just launched this around five months after Golf News and College Times stopped printing their physical weekend editions after 
decades. To find out why, I'm very pleased to be joined by Matthew Amlo, who's the Editor-in-Chief of Arabian Business at ITP. Why have you launched a physical newspaper, Matthew? Well, Brandy, thank you for having me here. I think the key behind Sunday, which helpfully goes out on Sundays, is to provide something for every Dubai resident, which is what they should be doing at the weekend, what they're missing out on, and what's happening in the city. Why do you think that you can commercially make this work, because ITP is a commercial company, um, when the newspaper guys who've been doing it for decades had to pull the physical plug? The model's very different to some of these other brands that you've spoken about earlier. This is distributed freely. It's distributed directly to people. And it works in concert with our other partnerships that we already have. Right. So you're not dependent on advertising for this. Is this what you're saying? It's about advertising, but it's also about commercial partnerships in terms of native advertising. And also, it's the fact that we can put it in front of so many people. We're distributing 88,000 copies a week, I think the most for any weekend newspaper, especially now at the moment, which means that we have a wide, wide range of people that we can reach. Is the plan for it to pay for itself, will it effectively have its own balance sheet? (laughs) Well, as you pointed out, ITP is a commercial organisation and we are very keen in its first year it will turn a profit. Right, so not connected to the other bundling of advertising with other publications that you have on its own? No, not at all. This is standing by itself on its own two legs. Okay, so why do you think advertisers are going to look to start putting more ads in physical papers when we know that they've moved away from physical papers to digital? Look, launching a newspaper is a big endeavour. You clearly don't do that overnight. This has been a six-month process whereby we've been pitching this to people. Every person we've spoken to has more enough bitten our hands off in terms of getting involved. The response has been amazing. Okay. There's not a humongous amount of ads in the first copy, though. There, there is a few already. The idea is that we have more partnerships as they go along. It comes out every week, so there'll be more partnerships as we further develop. Already by the end of this year, it's already looking very positive from a business standpoint. Or am I just not noticing the ads? Is a lot of this paid-for editorial? No. There's, I mean, look, there, everything in there that is paid for is written sponsored content in, uh, in guidance with normal guidelines in terms of the media law out here. Um, but overall, it's, it's mostly written editorially. Okay. Well, look, I've worked for papers before. They're not cheap to produce because you're in print, you're in ink, you're in paper, you're in trucks, you're getting it out there. How much is this actually costing you to do? Well, look, I can't give you the exact figures on how much it costs to produce. Needless to say, it's much more expensive to distribute a newspaper than it might be to just write a news story online. But that is definitely worth it. And I mean, I think it speaks to the advantage of having a physical product. Okay. What kind of license do you need to do this? Are you able to do this under your existing magazine licenses or have you had to go and get a newspaper license? Yes, is the answer. We have had to get a a new license specifically for this, um, which is for Sunday and allows it to go out every week. Is there plans to take it beyond Sunday? Could we see Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Not for the time being. The idea is Sunday. At the moment, Sunday is specifically focused on Dubai, though. There are plans in the pipeline for expansion to Ras al-Khaimah and to Abu Dhabi later on. Will they have their own papers? Yes, of course, because the content in here is entirely written for a Dubai audience. Um, the Abu Dhabi paper would have to have its own writing, and so would Ras al-Khaimah. What about beyond the UAE? Tom's just come back from Riyadh. We know that ITP um, has got big Saudi plans and is already enactioning them. Are you looking at that market as well? Saudi Arabia is obviously an enormous market with massive opportunities, and I think you alluded to it there. Uh, the idea is that in the future, there's definitely a possibility for it, but the market is much harder to penetrate in terms of um, launching a, a new newspaper. And what about the places that you have it? Hotel lobbies. I picked this up from the coffee shop next to my gym. Have you had to go and strike partnerships with every single venue to carry it? Okay, no. So distribution was one of the hardest nuts to crack when it came to launching the paper. Um, 
currently it's about 65 more 60 hotels and 300 restaurants that it gets distributed to directly. We've leveraged other partnerships um, with our distribution partners in order to get the newspaper into everyone's hands. The idea is that it's available for everyone and again it's available for free which differentiates it from other products. And what research have you done as to who's going to read it? I mean, you have a, a crossword in the, the back of here. You've got the Sudoku. But there's also a lot of younger content about nightlife and, and going out. I'm really glad you mentioned the crossword, actually, because when we were coming to discussions about what should be in the newspaper, I said the crossword is potentially one of the most important aspects of putting it in the newspaper. It was the first thing Tom Urquhart went for, I and can tell you. I have to say, I obviously went around on Sunday to go and see uh, where the newspaper was, if people were picking it up, and I must have seen 20, 30, 50 people, all of them were doing the crossword. So a young audience, an older audience? It's a Dubai audience. Right, so um, that's your typical Dubai working professional, um, you know, 20, 20 to 45, um, looking at what they should be doing in the city. They might have just arrived, um, trying to understand. Again, you'll see in the next issue, there's an expanded section on the calendar and on what's happening during the week, because for us, we think that's actually one of the key benefits of this. Again, Sunday is about a physical product and is about having something in people's hands, which has been missing, I think, in most people's routines. The number of messages that I've received from people who are saying, can't wait to start my Sunday with a cup of coffee, read the newspaper has been outstanding. Okay, so what else can you bring in for the community? I mean, the demise of seven days was um, a sad day, I think, for, for Dubai um, when that closed down. Will you bring in a reader's letters section? Absolutely. I mean, people are welcome to reach out to us. Sunday at itp.com is the, is the address. Um, feel free to send in your letters. We're absolutely willing to publish them, um, just so long as you're telling us <laughs> what a wonderful job we're doing. Are you auditing it? Auditing the... The print run? Uh, yes, yes we are. It's audited um, and we're also doing a, a proof of delivery as well to make sure that it is getting to everywhere that we expect it to. And you've obviously got a huge stable of, of journalists producing an awful lot of news content. Will we see that leveraged into this and other products going forward? Obviously, it would be stupid not to synergize with our current um, uh, journalism outtake because um, there's a huge amount of resource there and a huge amount of experience. But the reality is, is that Sunday is a very different product, especially from Arabian business, in terms of the type of content that it needs and the, ty- and the way that readers will interact with it. So what does it say about where you guys see revenue coming from going forward in terms of the split? You've got a paywall on Arabian business. You've obviously got a digital advertising model as well. You've got physical magazines and you've got events. Where do you see the future of money for your company? Look, Sunday is, is, as I said earlier, is going to turn a profit. But the point without having a print publication is it brings more power and more, more ways of leveraging your brands as you already have them. Um, in the future, Arabian Business, for instance, is highly focused on the paywall and is driven to become a successful company through its own paywall because that, that is the future in terms of building a bigger business. But having a print product which comes out every week is something that we can leverage to ex- extend our reach. 30 seconds left with you. Is that paywall working? Absolutely. I mean, the thing with the paywall is that it has been an absolute journey, uh, not just internally understanding what kind of content works, how much more content we need, but also externally, audiences understanding in this part of the world that they can pay for the news and they will get a better product because of it. Matthew Emlo is the editor-in-chief of Arabian Business. They're part of ITP. They've just put out a physical Sunday newspaper, if you came across this on your weekend, first weekend, last weekend. Matthew, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Tom is channeling his inner tech bro this morning. He is sitting on a bench 
on multicolored pastel shaded cushions with an indoor olive tree behind him. Thomas. Living the dream, Deanie. Living the Dubai dream at the moment. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, thoroughly enjoying our home from home this week down here at Dubai Commerce City. Something of a little bit of a surprise in the heart of Umrah Mall. Sun's rising outside. Winter season is upon us. The beach beckons. You've got the best restaurants in the world. What's not to love about this city? Therefore... Any big surprise that Dubai has been ranked the most popular city in the world for expat immigration? Don't ask us, ask the man alongside me, because that's according uh, to the uh, financial services provider, Remitly. The head of the UAE is, of course, Mo Mansour, who joins us here. Mo, thanks so much indeed for your time. Thanks for having me. Really a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Dini was saying that we were sort of channeling our... Se- we should have been wearing trainers today, Very true, we? by yeah, the yeah. way. I'm really liking the setup you guys have going. <laughs> it's very nice, very cosy. Well, we're really liking your survey as well. <laughs> <laughs> and interesting that Dubai comes out on top. Or is it that interesting? I mean, let's crunch these numbers if we can. How do you, how do you judge cities when it comes to the sort of rankings that you're looking for here? Yeah, so uh, l- I'll take a step back, Tom, if, if I may. I think just, just to describe the methodology of this survey, uh, and then we can actually crack into why I think the results were the way they were. Um, so Remitly, the company I'm, I'm the head of uh, uh, region for, the UAE for, is a digital financial services provider and we help our customers send money home to family, friends, loved ones. So it's really important for us to really understand immigration patterns because that's effectively our customer base, people who move from one country to another. Uh, Globally, there's 280 million people who live outside of the country in which they were born. So that's 3.5% of the global population. And we like to understand where they're moving, why are they moving there, et cetera. So we run these surveys and in this particular survey, the methodology was quite simple. You know, we use Google searches as a proxy for what people are thinking. Mm. Um, and so we looked for people searching things along the lines of moving to, mm. uh, or I want to move, etc. So just, you know, people who clearly are showing an intent to move, where are they actually searching those moves? And the result of the survey, and by a considerable margin of victory, I'll, I'd say, is it was Dubai as the number one most searched uh, uh, moving destination. Um, and actually, I say considerable margin because over 60, sorry, exactly 60 countries chose Dubai as their number one. <laughs> and the second place in terms of most search was Paris with 12 of, uh, countries choosing that as their most, sorry, Miami with 12 countries choosing that as their most searched uh, destination and Paris with 10 countries. So it's a very again, analytical Dubai 60. Survey. It's quite analytical, yeah. yeah. It's using Google searches, yep. And in terms of the, 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 the rankings there that you mentioned, I mean, 164 countries, it's not insignificant as well. So for Dubai to rank above some of those aforementioned capitals around the world, it's pretty significant. It's very significant. I think, you know, so we had conducted a, a, a survey three years ago on the same thing, but with countries. And actually Canada came up as, as the number one country. As a lot of people expected, it's often ranked one of the easiest <coughs> and highest standards of living uh, globally. But when we actually... Uh, went deeper into detail and, and searched for cities, Dubai was number one. Mm. I have a few theories that which we can get to as to why that's the case. But well, let's get to those theories right. if we can, because, yeah, maybe I was being a bit tongue-in-cheek about the sun rising, et cetera, here, but it plays its part, doesn't it? I, I would say so. I mean, it, it certainly does for me. I'm sure it does yeah, yeah. Uh, for you. Look, we were briefly chatting. I hope you don't mind me bringing this up on camera. I just asked you before yeah, our interview, so. how long have you been here? <laughs> you said 24 years, which is, you know as OG as it gets in terms of living in <laughs> Dubai, which is really amazing. So obviously, you know, people ask what's the reason, you know, when the survey came out, were asking me, what's, what do you think is the reason that yeah. it was ranked number one? 
Uh, and I think if you ask 100 different people who live in Dubai that question, you'll probably get 100 different answers. And I'm sure if I ask you what brought you to Dubai, what's kept you in Dubai for over two decades, you might have a very concise answer, which involves the sun, which involves lifestyle, which involves a number of things. Uh, but each person you ask will have a different reason. Yeah. I think typically speaking, when you think about it, when you think about immigration as a whole, it's typically economic opportunity that's the main driver for people moving somewhere and typically also staying somewhere. So let's not ignore the fact that you can typically have good career prospects here, career progression. Uh, doesn't hurt that it's a, a tax-free salary, so your take-home pay is higher than you would have back home regardless of where you're from. So economic opportunity is usually the main driver. But then you touched on a number of things that I would bucket under lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. So good weather, good people, fun, diverse. I mean, a lot of people really admire the fact that their kids go to school with people from 70 plus countries in their, in their class, speaking different languages, being exposed uh, to different cultures, etc. Uh, I would have the third bucket, if I may. So first bucket, economic opportunity. Second one, uh, lifestyle. Third one as uh, geographic proximity. People, you know, the reason more people don't move is because they really miss the people they love, their friends, their family, their loved ones, etc. So being able to stay close, I mean, I would say with the exception of, let's say, the Americas, North and South America, and probably Australia, New Zealand, but let's be honest, that's far from everything in the world. But listen, you can be really close to home and visit home quite often. Just channel down on one of the things that, sure. I mean, what you and you and the team at Remitly do is, you know, you look at it from an economic point of view. I of mean, course. you wouldn't be in business without people having money to uh, remit around the world yeah. and, and being a, a platform for that. So Absolutely. people are coming here for not just the sun rising every day, <laughs> They're coming here for the optimism, but they're coming here for the financial opportunity as well. Uh, absolutely. I, I think it would be foolish not to consider that as probably the number one reason most people decide to move to Dubai. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's quite amazing. Obviously, we're, we're very close to this. Again, yeah. we, we basically help people send money to their friends, family, loved ones back home. Um, so we, we kind of understand remittance patterns uh, very well. And seeing the, 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 the hard work and the tenacity that people put into their day jobs here in order to support loved ones back home, it, it's an inspiring story. Every single individual who uses our app is, is I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but really it's quite an inspiration in terms of what they do, why they're doing it, and how they're helping people back home. One thing that really strikes me, look, we're no stranger to surveys in this part of the world, you know, be it best Instagrammable or most liked or whatever. <laughs> but it's the analytics that's gone into this. The fact that you've Google searches, the fact that you've sort of circled mm. down in on those, those search items as well. And the fact that Dubai has absolutely blown the competition away. I mean, if you think of Paris in third place with 10 number of countries that want to move there, Miami in second place with 12, Dubai's on 60. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's extraordinary. And again, that sort of wide scope of countries as well. Did that surprise you as well? It did. I think, look, it didn't surprise me, as it probably wouldn't for a lot of people who live here, that it's number right. one. But the margin of victory did surprise me. And I, I think it really just speaks loads to, you know, how well this city has done mm -hmm. uh, since COVID, even until now, both economically, both in terms of the constant new developments. Again, we were just speaking off screen, this beautiful office that we're in. I have never even visited yeah. this area in Dubai and I've, I've lived here for several years. And so there's constantly new things coming in. I think even some of the things that used to be seen as, okay, there's a bit of a gap in arts and culture, etc. even those are being addressed. Mm -hmm. Literally just spent last weekend in El Cercal, walked around, uh, you know, gallery hopping, museums everywhere, really good food, really good coffee shops. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing city. Got to leave it there, Mo. Uh, but out of time on this occasion, really thank you for the report. Thanks for coming down here as well. Mo Mansour, head of UAE Remitly. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Tom. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.